Hello. Oh, there it was. Okay, it was on mute. I didn't even know I could do that. Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you're here. I think you're going to want to stand up for this song. It's this little song you might, re- might know called, Oh, Happy Day. Here we go. Let's stand. Sing along with us.
you can be seated. Well, happy day. Glad you're here. Welcome to First Baptist Church. And uh, we are so glad that you're here to worship. And if you're a guest with us, we're extremely glad that you are here. We hope you feel comfortable in our church. We'd love to get to know you. One of the ways that we do that is through the guest card that's located in front of you in the pew rack. If you could fill one of those out for us. And then after our gathering, go left to the Welcome Center. Our lead pastor will be there, and he's got a small gift for you coming and being a part of our service. We're just glad you're here. We want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. So... How many weeks away from Christmas are we right now? Does anybody know? Nine. We are nine weeks away. So as we see the leaves falling and all the fall foliage, you can't believe it's, it's you know, you're, is your shopping done yet? We don't know. But um, that means Operation Christmas Child is coming up. So uh, this week we want to invite you to pick up some boxes. We've got these three free boxes available over by the bookstore. But if you want to get fancy, we've got these in the bookstore for purchase that you can get if you want to get the Cadillac uh, model of uh, Samaritan Purse boxes. So you got those options, but the free ones are available. You can purchase a box. But go by the kiosk there, or the display. There's a, a brochure on how to do that and how to get a label on it. This is such an incredible ministry. It gets the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if you want to know how, we've got a video here that will show you. I want you to take a moment to watch this video so that when you participate in this ministry, you know what you're giving to. So let's watch this for just a moment.
Amen, amen. You know, um, we don't come to church just, just to see our friends and just to check off a box. You know, really the reason why we come to church is to, to be like the Bible says, iron sharpening iron. We're, we're here to become more and more like Jesus. And that's what this song says. Will you stand and let's sing it with us. Sing it with us. Uh, more like you. Make this your prayer today.
Lord, we come before you this morning, keeping our eyes on you, Lord, keeping our hearts on you, Lord. As we talked about this morning in our devotional about our, you know, laying aside our past and that Satan wants us to remember those things that drag us down. But Lord, we know that, uh, that you forgive and forget as far as the east is from the west. And then through it all, we can keep our eyes on you. And because of your forgiveness, we can live a life where it is well with our souls. And for that, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We give it all to you this morning. As Dr. Cox comes and brings your message, may you pierce our hearts and lead us down the, the road that you want us to go, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Joy to worship with you. Hey, if you're new in our church, this Wednesday I begin leading a four-week class called Introductions, and that is just what it says. It is an introduction to First Baptist Church. It's also an introduction, if you're new to Christianity, to the beliefs of Christians, how to grow as a Christian. Um, you can ask questions about what we believe. So it's a dual introduction to Christianity and the First Baptist Church, our campus, our staff, our ministries, our mission. So if you're new, I want to invite you to come. No obligation. Uh, four weeks, 6.30 to 7.15, children's classes during that time, child care during that time. Invite you to come. Begins this Wednesday at 6.30. If you've already had introductions, there's three other great groups that are beginning this week. A parenting group, an Old Testament survey group, further discussion. Invite you to be a part of one of those as you continue the journey of discipleship. Week from tomorrow, Jake's already talking about Christmas. Let's talk about Halloween for a moment here. Week from tomorrow is our trunk or treat. That's a big outreach event in our church. Um, when we last year, we estimate we had 800 to 1,000 people in our parking lot, uh, uh, families or children. Uh, we need your help. Uh, our goal is to have 50 trunks. You just bring your car, you open your trunk, you can decorate, there's instructions at the Welcome Center, um, hand out candy. Uh, we've only got about less than 25. We're less than halfway there. We need 25 to 30 more of you who will come at 5, be here till 7.30. You get a free hot dog dinner out of it. You get to serve Jesus. Uh, I want to invite you to come. We need your help. So we need at least 25 more folks to go to the Welcome Center and sign up today or next Sunday and help us uh, to welcome families. So this year, what one thing we're doing at one of our booths, we got a large gift, and I wanted to buy Bible story books. A lot of these kids who come to Trunk or Treat, I used to do Daniel and the Lion's Den story there, and uh, they don't know Bible stories. So we had a large gift, and we bought 300 of these very nice books that tell Megan Clayton picked this out for me, the story of the Bible, the garden, the curtain, and the cross. And it's about a $10 book. We're going to give this to 300 families that will give us their email, and that way we're going to invite them to Vacation Bible School. So it's going to be a, a connection point there. Now, if you're a church member, we got these for sale in the bookstore. We'd really rather you let our unchurched friends pick these up free. But if you want one, we'll give you one as well. But it's a great book, uh, and so uh, we're going to be doing that. And I ask you to pray for that, that we seek to... Uh, uh, get to know 300 families who are not in our church and invite, be able to invite them to Vacation Bible School. 
I'm sharing a series of sermons, a brief three-week series through the book of Titus. There are just three chapters in this little book. We began last week in Titus 1. Today we look at Titus chapter 2. Let me take a moment to review. Some of you are brand new. We're glad you're here. want to catch you up. We had about 100 students and leaders gone uh, last weekend on a retreat, and they were not here. We're so glad for those of you who invest in our students. Glad you guys are back. And so let me catch you up. Titus is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, who is his younger missionary associate. And Titus had, was left by Paul in Crete, on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, to further the missionary work there. They were both there together. Paul went on, left Titus there. Now he's writing to Titus to tell him some instructions. And Crete, we learned last week, was really not so good a place. Let me read to you one verse from chapter 1 that we looked at last week that describes Crete. Uh, Titus 1.12 says, One of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Wow, uh, there, there wasn't a great place to try to be a missionary. And so it was a not-so-good place. How do you respond to a not-so-good place? In some ways, our culture is a not-so-good culture. It's a little bit like Crete. And so it's hard sometimes to serve Christ. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to compromise? Are we going to withdraw and not be involved in a, a world that's sometimes not so good? Are we just going to become negative and complain about things all the time? Oh, it's just going to the dogs. Or are we going to do good? The theme of Titus is do Good, be a positive force in a not-so-good world. Eight times in the, these little three little chapters, we see the phrase, do good. We'll see it three times today in chapter 2. We can be a positive force in a not-so-good world. You can do it in Crete. You can do it in America. We need to be living for Christ. How do we do that? Chapter 1 was do good at church. The first thing that Paul wanted Titus to do was establish churches. You know what God's plan is for a, for a not-so-good world? How does he want to change the world? It's through the local church. And if you want to do good, you need to be involved in the local church. That's what chapter 1 is about. Chapter 2 is about family relationships, the home. Do good at home. Second thing that God wants us to do is to build strong families. Families and churches are a witness to a world. And so today we're going to talk to you about your family relationships, your home life, and how you live in your home is a model to a world of what God wants a family to be, and it's a witness to a lost world. Are you doing good in your home? That's what we're going to talk about today in Titus chapter 2. Let's get going. Chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, chapter 1 ended talking about false teachers. So now it says to Titus, you, got to be different than this. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So this chapter in all of Titus links behavior and belief it's about how we're to do good how we're to be living but it grounds it in the doctrines we believe there's a connection between theology and ethics belief and behavior what we believe and how we live and that's the connection that he's making in this chapter that we're going to see so then in beginning in verse 2 he gives instructions to various age groups so this is going to be very specific to you now let me say though we, uh, it's going to be specific by gender and specific by age. And uh, younger men, younger women, older men, older women. 
we often have, we think of age and we have young adults, median adults, and older adults. Paul doesn't do that here. You're either younger or older. I'm sorry, folks. You're going to have to fit into one of these two groups. You can decide here. Maybe it's when your kids leave home. Maybe it's 50 and up is older. Uh, 40 and younger is younger. If you're in your 40s, you can go either way here. Or maybe both of these apply to you. I'm just saying you're going to have to find your group as we go through this chapter, okay? We're going to start with older men, okay? Verse 2, teach the older men. All right, guys. You're 45 and up, your kids have left home, this is what you're supposed to be like. I want you to look at your life here, see if you're doing good in a not-so-good world in your family relationships. Teach the older men to be temperate, sober, serious, not just sober in regard to alcohol, but to, to, to be mature is another translation. Is there a maturity in your life, a spiritual maturity in your life? The second word is worthy of respect and that probably sums up what it says to older men here you're to be a leader and if you're going to lead you got to be worthy to be followed are you worthy of respect are you setting a pattern in your life that your family can look up to that other people there are a lot of man there's a lot of kids in our world today who don't have a father role aren't the father figure in their life so many and you can be that kind of model and role, but are you worthy of respect? Are you self-controlled, is the next word, and sound in faith, love, and endurance? Here's the three great virtues of Christianity, faith, love, and hope, or endurance. Are you sound in those? Guys, as you get older, sometimes you stray from the faith. Guys, as you get older, sometimes your love becomes hardened, and you become a little bit bitter and, and a little bit um, um, cold, in your relationship to your wife, in your relationship to your kids, in your relationship to others. And sometimes you fizzle out. And you used to be in church and serving God, and you used to be believing in Him, and now you've faded. The antidote for these three are the three great Christian virtues. Are you sound in faith? I'm holding on to what I believe, faithful to the end. Are you sound in love? Or have you become cold? Is there a love in your life for God? and for your family? And are you sound in endurance? Are you finishing well that you're enduring to the end? Okay, now we're going to move on to older women, okay? Likewise, verse 3, teach the older women, Titus. You're in a not-so-good place there. You, these women are going to have to be a contrast to that world around them of, of lazy gluttons and evil brutes. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they lived or holy in the way they lived. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. You know, women, I believe, there, I believe there's a difference between men and women. I, I just believe God made us different. And our world is re, er, trying to erase gender distinctions, and I think that's crazy. Uh, it's, it's obvious. And one of the things is women are more relational. Better talkers, usually, not always. Your, your husband may be different than that. And so the, the good part of it is you're able to teach, it says here. Bad part is then you have to watch those sins of verbal sins of that gossip or slander or that kind of thing. They're to be reverent, not slanderers. What's your conversation like, ladies? Not addicted to much wine but to teach 
what is good. There's the first occasion of our do good or teach good phrase. We're going to see it eight times in this book. First time in chapter 2 we've seen it. Then, verse 4, they can teach the young, they can urge or teach the younger women. So the last thing I'd say about older women is you have a responsibility to teach, to set a model for younger women. Your daughters, your granddaughters, but even in the church, those uh, who uh, are younger. That's God's pattern. Now, for that to happen, there has to be some connection. You need to get outside just your age group, and you need to be involved with younger women that you can model and mentor and help them. And the same thing with younger women to older women. So that's one reason at a church you need to be more than just in a connection group, which is largely age-graded. You need to come to Fellowship Supper, be at CDP, come to a chili cook-off, do some things, get in a choir, do some other cross-generational things that you can be available because God wants to use you as a pattern for younger women. And if you're not with younger women, you can't do that. In, in MOPS, we have a group called MOPS, Mothers and Preschoolers, and they have mentor moms, and they have specific roles that do that. But you can be a mentor mom without having that, that title. So these older women are to be reverent, not slanderous, addicted to much wine to teach what is good. Then verse 4, aren't we ready for younger women? You ready? Women 45 and younger, here you go. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. And the great duty of your life is to love your husband if you're married and to love your children if you have children. Be committed there. And to be self-controlled and pure. So young women, let me talk to you, teenagers, 20s, the pressure of our culture is to impurity, is to immodesty. The pressure of our culture uh, is is going to be contrary to what God calls you to be in purity. And so are you, are you compromising? Are you like the world? Or are you living a life that could be described as self-controlled and pure? That's what God calls you to. To be busy at home or to be a homemaker or to be home-oriented. Now let me say, I think in our culture homemakers are somewhat depreciated, um, not valued as highly. Um, what do you do? I'm a homemaker. Oh, you don't work. Oh, you just, you know. And uh, that role is where God says that, you're, um, that your priority should be, is that your focus should be home-oriented, be busy or a worker or a homemaker, one translation, be, be there at home. And you may be, do many other things. Let me read to you. Let me read to you a, a quotation from uh, Barbara Bush, former First Lady Barbara Bush, gave the uh, commencement speech at Wellesley College, a prestigious women's college. Uh, a lot of those women, brilliant young women, going on with degrees into law and other things. And here's what she said to them. As important as your obligation as a doctor, a lawyer, or a business leader may be, your human connections with your spouse and your children are the most important investments you will ever make. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, not closing one more deal, but you will regret time not spent with your spouse 
and your children. Let no one in the world deprecate you if you're a homemaker, a housewife, a stay-at-home mom, whatever title you want to, to use there. You're doing the greatest work in the world. And even if you work as a career and you're a single mom or you supplement your husband's income or whatever, you still, the focus of your life, the great role that no one else can do is that to love your husband and to love your children and to be committed at home. What a great role. God elevates that role when the world sometimes uh, does not. It goes on to say to young women to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. And God put your husband as a leader in your home. That's just, it's not a world, that's not the world's virtue, but that is a God-ordained thing. Not to be a dictator, but to give leadership there. And this is what it says that younger women are to do. Now, we come then in verse five to the first of these three so that phrases we're going to see. We're going to see in this chapter three so that purpose phrases are, are result phrases. Young women, you get the first one of these so that no one will malign the word of God. So it says the reason to behave like this is because there's something bigger than you. You represent Jesus Christ, and by your behavior, you don't want to do anything that will cause anyone to malign or discredit or in any way put to shame the Word of God. And your kindness and your, and your self-control and your purity and these other things will bring value to the Word of God rather than maligning the Word of God. You have a great role of influence in our culture, younger women, as you are pure and self-controlled, and it stands as a contrast to our culture. Then we get to young men, and, and it says in verse 6, similarly, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Young guys, you just got one word. It's like, you know, you probably couldn't remember more than that, so we just, you got one. These others, they got three or four words, you got one. Be self-controlled. Now, this theme of self-control has been repeated uh, in some of these others. You'll notice that theme here. That's a real theme in this, this uh, chapter. We're going to say that word again. But, guys, it really just focuses on it for you. So let me talk to you. If you're a teenager guy, if you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s especially, one of the great things that you need to work on in your life, if you're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ, is self-control. Controlling your temper, controlling your passions, controlling your energies. You see, again, I believe that God made men and women different. And young men, especially, got all kind of juice flowing. You know, they got testosterone, they got energy that you just, when you get older, man, you wish you still had some of that energy. They got, they got strength. And so that's a good thing. God made you that way. God made you with that energy and that passion and that drive and that enthusiasm. And you can either harness it for good or it can destroy you. So you're going to have to learn to harness that and control your passions. Let me put it to you this way. When it comes to violent crime in America, 80% of the violent crime in America, for years the statistics have been true, 80% of the violent crime in America caused by young men. Young men. Why? 80%? Or 
Or if you look at the U.S. prison population, U.S. prison population, 93% men, 7% women. Why is that? Don't tell me men and women are exactly the same. There are gender distinctions, and it is because, there. I'm not a sociologist, there are probably a lot of factors. Let me tell you one factor. God made men with testosterone, drive, passion, enthusiasm, energy. And if you don't harness that, it'll become destructive and it'll lead to violence or lead to drinking and out of control or it'll lead to sexual sin. And you got to learn, if you're going to live in a not-so-good world, young men, the word for you is let self-control be formed in your life. You say, well, how to do that? Well, stick with me. The last half of the chapter is going to tell you the, how you can do these things. But for now, I've got to say, this has got to be a focus in your life. And you cannot wait until you get into those situations that are heated arguments or passionate kind of encounters. You can't wait then to decide who you are and what you're going to be like and what you're going to do. It's too late then. It's now that you've got to be building into your life the Word of God and the principles that are going to, because you just understand you're made that way. And you're going to have temptations in that area, and you've got to, that's got to be a focus of your life now while you're young. So, he says then to Timothy, or to Titus, in verse 7, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. So I think Titus is one of these younger men under 40 or 45, and he says, Titus, you're one of them. You set them an example, here's that key phrase, second occurrence in this chapter, by doing what is good. You can choose to do bad, you can do what's good, and you'll be an example by doing good. In your teaching, Titus, here's how you're to teach these young men. And so we could have another category here of teachers, pastors, connection group leaders. Here's how you're to teach. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness. Now, I believe God loves I believe God's God who created laughter. I believe jokes are great. But you, you know somebody who's never serious about anything, that all of life's just a joke? He says, there's some things that are serious, and you've got to be serious about serious things. All of life's not a joke. So when you're teaching, there must be integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. That is sound doctrine that cannot be condemned. Here's our second so that phrase, so that. Those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. So there are going to be people who oppose you, Titus. Christians today, there are going to be people who are against you. And, and you can't stop that or worry about that, but you can rob them of ammunition. You can make it where they just can't find a whole lot bad to say because you're living a good life that's blessing others and doing good. You'll rob them of that ammunition so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. There's a, another group, a final group, and that is slaves. Now, we don't have slaves today, thank God, but there were many slaves in the Roman Empire. Forty percent of the population, some have estimated, a large group of slaves. These slaves are becoming Christians. Slavery different than slavery in America, which was racially based, and, and, and it's different. But uh, large groups of slaves, slaves becoming Christians, what kind of witness were they going to be and so he says to slaves, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them. 
but to show that they can be fully trusted. So, hey, we're going to apply that today. Thank God we don't have slavery anymore. I think you can apply this in your work relationships. Some of you may say, yeah, that fits. My work's about like being a slave anyway. Well, you can apply that there. Here's what you ought to do in your work. It says, be subject to your boss. Try to please them. Don't talk back to them. Don't steal from them. Show that you can be fully trusted. So that, here's the third of these so that phrases, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Even slaves can make the teaching about God our Savior attractive by the way you live. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in. You can make the Word of God either ugly or beautiful. The word here, attractive, is the Greek word cosmeo that we get our word cosmetics from. You know what cosmetics do? They try to make you look attractive, right? Well, you can, you can cosmetic up the Word of God. You can make it attractive by the way you live. Or you can make it pretty ugly by the way you live. Oh, you go to First Baptist Church, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you're either going to make it attractive or ugly. And here's the thing. Even slaves can do that. You might be in a bad family relationship. Probably not as bad as these slaves, but you might be in a bad relationship. A bad situation does not excuse bad behavior, the Bible says. Christianity undermined slavery. It was by Christian principles that slavery was eventually abolished. But even while you're in that less than ideal situation... Paul is saying to Titus, you teach them, it does not excuse bad behavior. They're not to steal, they're not to talk back, they're to be subject. As Christians, given a witness to those non-Christian slave owners, they can make the gospel attractive. So if you're in a, if you're in a tough family situation, it's not ideal, and, 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 and your, your husband uh, doesn't come to church, or, or you, you've got problems with kids, you still have the opportunity to do good. And you can make the gospel ugly or attractive by the way you live. And a bad situation does not excuse bad behavior. You cannot control the situation, the, the behavior of other people. You can influence, but you can't control the situation of other people. But you can control your behavior. And Paul is saying to them, you live in such a way that you don't malign the Word of God, but that you make the Word of God attractive to others all right so how are we supposed to do this what's the motivation what's the what's the uh, the power to be kind and pure and self-controlled and all of these things look at the last part of the chapter and here Paul talks about the two appearings of Jesus Christ. We often call them the comings. Here he called the first and second coming of Jesus. Here he refers to them as the, the first and second appearing of Jesus. And you see what we have here, this gets into that doctrine section. And what the Bible says is what we believe influences the way we behave. First part of the chapter has been about how to behave. Now here's the foundation for how to behave. Here's the rationale and motivation for it. It's what we believe. There's a link between what we believe and how we behave. And so he talks first of all about that first coming. 
The grace of God has appeared and teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. He's referring specifically to the point in time when, at Christmas when Jesus came to earth and lived among us and died for us. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Man, I believe that every person can come to know Christ as Savior. I believe the gospel is open to all people. And it teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Here's that word. You were told to do it earlier. How are you going to do it? Here's how you do it. Grace, when you receive the grace of God by believing in Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Him, it changes you. Grace changes you. I had somebody the other day say, well, you believe this stuff about grace? You just believe that salvation is a free gift? I said, yeah, we do. He said, well, then why don't I just take the free gift and then just go live any way I want to? Here's why you don't do that right here in the Bible, because it says grace teaches or trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. How are you going to say no to your worldly passions, young men? The grace of God, you receive Jesus Christ and, and, and you live in that grace and it will change you. It'll do more than what rules can't do and law can't do. They can only stop you from doing bad things, but grace can help you do good things. You've got to learn to say no to some things in life. Are you saying no to anything? Are you saying yes to everything? There needs to be some no's in your life. Are you saying no to some of the things? The grace of God will teach you, train you, help you, enable you to say no. That's not who I am. I'm a Christian now. I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't be there. I have to say no to some things so I can say yes to some better things. And guys and girls, you're going to have to get in the grace of God that will train you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions so that you can say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. And that grace can motivate and help you. If somebody risked their life to save you, intervened in a home intervention or something, and just at the risk of their own life saved your life, wouldn't you feel sort of indebted to that person? Wouldn't you have some love and respect for that person? So the appearing of Jesus has motivated us. Jesus has saved me from hell, and that grace transforms me, and it teaches me to say, no, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I have a new master and a new nature and a new life within me, and that new nature and life is going to teach me to say no to some things so I can say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. In verse 13, he says, we have not only the impetus of the first appearing, but the impetus of the second appearing. While we wait, verse 13, for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus. And that also motivates us to live upright, holy lives, because that's what we're going to be for all eternity. We're becoming now what will be for all eternity. And, and Jesus Christ is coming back again, and that motivates me to live for him. If, we, if somebody said uh, in the pew there next to you, hey, I'm going to come over to your house after church today. I'll, I'll, it'll be about 30 minutes after we finish here. What would you do during those 30 minutes before they got there? You'd be stuffing that pizza box that's still on the coffee table under the couch, and you'd get that folded laundry that's on the back of the couch, and you'd put that up, right? 
Because company's coming and you don't want it to look like a pigsty in there. Let me tell you, Jesus is coming. He's coming and we're waiting for that blessed hope and the glory that will be revealed within us. And because of that, it motivates us to be ready for His return and to live upright and holy lives because glory is going to be within us. He puts them together in verse 14, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, that's His first coming, and to purify for Himself a people that are His own, that's His second coming. And here's our phrase, eager to do what is good. Are you eager to do what is good? Do you just begrudgingly do what is good? Do you just barely do what is good? Are you eager to do what is good? The Bible says... When you, when you get into the grace of God, you realize, man, He has given me eternal life and I belong to Him and He's my master now, then that will motivate and train you to say no to ungodliness and yes to upright life. And when you realize that He is purifying you for an eternal purpose forever, then you'll become what He is making you to be. And that grace can change you. The last verse says in verse 15, these then are the things you should teach, so I've tried to teach them to you. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Let me ask you, what's your life like in your home? What's your family relationship like? Is God saying anything to you, older men, younger men, older women, younger women? God saying anything to you about your family relationships today? Are there things in your life that you need to say no to? Would you come to to Jesus and the grace that he offers and enable him to make you what you really want to be. Let's pray together. Oh God, in our culture, help us to have families that are strong, that are holy, that are different. Help each of us in our family relationships to be eager to do what is good, to please you. Lord, Maybe there's someone right now who's struggling with some things and they would call upon you to say, I receive your grace gift of salvation. I repent of my sin. I ask you to come to my life, Lord Jesus, and to make me a new person. Give me new desires. Change me to be like you, that I can live out the role that you have placed me with joy and grace. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song. This is our time of invitation and commitment. You want to come for prayer? You want to come and confess Jesus as Lord of your life? You want to come and join our church? You can just walk forward while we're singing this. There'll be decision counselors here. I'll be glad to help you. God speaks to you. Would you come? See on a hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from His side, no greater sacrifice. What He's done, what He's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. And I praise God for what He's done.
Amen. You can grab a seat for just a moment. Just a couple of reminders before we close. We've already heard uh, several things there in the worship guide. Uh, the shoe boxes, trunk or treats coming up. Please don't forget to go sign up for that. CDP classes are listed in there. I just want to hit the bottom thing, the Women's Global Prayer Simulcast. That's coming up on a Saturday, November 5th. And so, ladies, please sign up for this. It'll be a great event. Uh, it's a simulcast with Jen Wilkins. She's an author, a speaker, and so it'll be a great event. Uh, I know they've been doing a lot to prepare for that, and so uh, you can register for that on our website. Don't miss out on being a part of that. I just want to remind you and invite you to be a part of our connection groups. If you've not been to one before, as you're exiting the doors, if you head up to your left uh, there at the welcome desk, they'd love to help, help find uh, the appropriate class for you. It's a great way for you to be able to connect with other people and kind of make this larger group uh, feel like a smaller group. And so it's a great way to, uh, to, to make new friends and connect with people uh, in a smaller class. And so we want to invite you to do that here in just a moment when we leave. As always, our uh, offering boxes are there on the back wall as you're exiting. And so it's, uh, we've worshipped in singing and we've worshipped through the Word of God. And, and uh, another act of worship is just giving back to the Lord uh, the, many, the many things that He's blessed you with in your life. And so let me close this out in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you uh, as we've just sung for what you've done in our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray... Uh, that you just help us uh, just to do good, to live with these characteristics that we've just been challenged with. Uh, Lord, help us. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter if we're men or women. Uh, Lord, you call us to do good things, to represent you, to make the gospel attractive to the world around us. So, Father, I pray that you help us to do that this week. Uh, help us to encourage each other to live uh, in the same way, the way that represents you and, and speaks the, the gospel and your grace to the people around us. God, it's in your sons, and we pray. Amen.